electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make money. My job's not just to entertain, but it's also to educate and to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now, doesn't it feel like everybody's raising prices? I mean, that's one reason this market hasn't been in exactly great shape lately. Dow dipping 67 points. S&P advanced 0.13% came up from the grave. NASDAQ inched up 0.11%. That did break a nasty down streak. Most of the time when we get hit with a price increase, we feel like we've been ripped off, right? It's natural. It's aggravating. It's also inflationary. So when too many companies raise prices at once, we start worrying that the Fed might have to slam the brakes on the economy in order to keep prices stable. The Fed can control a lot. But all of these price hikes are a great way for me, as a stock picker, to separate the wheat from the chaff. So let me teach you how. Why does it work? Because, see, you get to see which products we're willing to pay more for without much resistance. I regard this as not that inflationary. And, and then we look at which companies behind those products generally have stocks that we want to own. We don't want to pay too much for them. But that's what we're looking for, companies that can raise price and we barely notice. And today, a company that I never talk about is raising prices. We got really the perfect example, Microsoft. See, Microsoft announced that it's raising the price of Office 365 next year for the first time in a decade. Now, we're talking about price increases like 10 to 20 percent. But for most people, it will seem minimal. Because it's only a buck or two extra per month. That adds up very quickly, given that they've got 300 million users. Plus, nobody will complain. Why? Because this is enterprise software. So unless you're the gnome who does the purchasing for your company, you've got no reason to care. Honestly, Microsoft's added so many features to this subscription service since it was rolled out a decade ago that it does seem like a bargain to me. That price increase sent Microsoft stock soaring $6. Remember, this is not a small cap stock. To a new all-time high of $297 and change, foreclosing at 296 And at these levels, Microsoft now has a $2.2 trillion valuation. 2.2. 
That's pretty close to another company that can put through painless price increases, the $2.4 billion titan that is Apple. And we're going to get to that one in a second. Microsoft gave us an education today. We keep hearing that we haven't had a 5% correction in more than 10 months. How many times have you heard that today? With the implications being that this market's due for a beatdown. But one reason why we haven't had a correction of any magnitude is that Microsoft stock, which is very big as part of the S&P, is, well, it just refuses to quit. This one's been the unsung hero of the entire bull market, especially its most recent phase. The stock is so big that when it rallies, as it has, it reminds me, almost football season, of an offensive lineman that won't let anyone in to hurt the bull's charge. Microsoft just quietly goes about its business, never being in the crosshairs of the government, any government, really, or at least during this century. Have you ever heard Microsoft mention in the same breath as Facebook, Amazon, Alphabet, or even Apple, even though I could argue they're just as rapacious as those guys? But of course not. Nobody's investigating Microsoft for monopolistic practices. The government already came down on them for that 20 years ago. And since then, the company's, well, it's kind of uh, worn the, the theoretical white hat. It's not like they're putting a gun to your head and making you use Word or Outlook or Excel. Who needs to when they can slip you a free trial on pretty much every new PC? So let's circle back to the only company in the world that's actually larger than Microsoft, Apple. I'm not here to talk about the Apple store that got closed because of COVID. It was, that's prurient and terrible. I'm talking about how Apple is able to put through a price increase and nobody cares. They don't even bother to yawn. One major reason when you reason when you go to buy an iPhone, it's the carrier paying for the bulk of it. If you do it that way, not you. Amazing, isn't it? That the company and the carrier take care of things, uh, which means profitability galore for both the former because you are hostage, Microsoft, the latter because you love it, Apple. It's not just the price increases of the phone that we are relatively indifferent about. How many services have you bought from Apple in the last six months? Have you ever noticed you're on the East Coast that your bill, the receipt, it comes at around 3.20 a.m.? I know because I'm up to see it. You're probably not. How many purchases have you made from the App Store? They take a nice cut. Again, we're talking about painless services where they could easily raise prices, and we wouldn't even notice because most of these subscriptions are incredible bargains anyway, and the bills are all automated. Unlike a price increase in the supermarket, totally infuriating, right? You don't hear much grousing about paying more for Apple. That's a big reason why the stock's so close to its 52-week high and why I'm always telling you to own it, not trade it. Unfortunately, Apple doesn't get much love from its, the analysts who follow it, except for Katie Huberty. The rest of them are kind of lukewarm. Why? I think a lot of them just can't. Oh, there's a nice piece by J.P. Morgan today, but they can't seem to understand the value proposition here. See, Analysts are much more comfortable raising numbers for an enterprise-focused company. That means a company-focused company like Microsoft, because the enterprise business is seen as more sticky than the consumer business like Apple. Even when you've got Apple's ridiculously high levels of customer satisfaction. In other words, when you have one of these, you're not going anywhere. And when you have one of these, you're not going anywhere either. All right, who else can you get away with the price increase right now at this very moment? And no one would think it's extravagant. Well, you know, to me, a natural one is Costco. Now, let's talk about this for a second, because, again, Costco hit an all-time high today. When we went to see them two years ago, I was struck not by how little they charge. Uh, It it, it always surprises me. Uh, What really is amazing is not necessarily how little they charge, but how much they're willing to lose. I mean, you know, they want you in. 
They want dues payers. That's why you can get a bottle of Camus there. I, I remember speaking about Camus, one of my uh, our staff's fa- favorite. And I said to them, I said, guys, like you guys, this is, this price is so low. You're not making any money. And they said, well, that's the point, Jim. That's the point. They may even sell Camus less than it sells wholesale. And that makes you want to go there. Let me put this in perspective. I've had a lot of businesses, some good, some bad. But one of the craziest I had was a popcorn company. Now, we had a deal with Costco where we chose to lose money in order to make it up at the back end. Unfortunately, there was no back end. We went out of business. But that's why a Costco membership is such a great value and why you wouldn't blink if they wanted you to pay more because they are selling it for less than everybody else can. What's even better? Do you know what? I was thinking. Someone was saying the other day, you know, Costco might put through a price increase in their membership. I don't even know how much it costs. I just buy it. I know that it's worth it. I know it's a bargain. No wonder the stock hit an all-time high today. Now, if you use this analysis, the analysis of a company that offers you an incredible bargain that you'd be willing to pay up for, or a bargain where you're not even aware of the price because it's such a steal, then I'm going to kill you right back to a stock that's been sneaking up. Yeah, the N in Fang. I'm going to take you back to Netflix, which everyone wrote off after that last quarter, which was not so hot. Now, this has become a forgotten stock, but I'm beginning to believe that it's going to be an unforgotten real soon. Now that the company's been able to make some new productions free of COVID, or at least relatively free of COVID. Netflix is a stock that trades on hits, okay, hit content. The last quarterly conference call was totally joyless. It was a real chore to listen to. Why? Because uh, very unlike Netflix, there wasn't anything to crow about. There were no major new productions they could rave about. There were no Ted Lassos, so to speak. Another Apple product that I'll gladly pay more for now that I've mellowed in my old age. My sister says, ooh, it's cute. I think it's better than that, but it is cute. That last one, the Christmas one, cute. Anyway, I think Netflix will tell a better story the next time it reports because the bargain will be more self-evident and they'll once again start talking about their favorites. This last one was just like, it was listening to a widget. It was like, you know, it was like they were like an appliance company. No, no, that's not true. Whirlpool's quote was much more exciting. Finally, one more that's now hated and I think hated unfairly. You know what I'm talking about? It's a river. It's a river in uh, in South America. It's Amazon. It's a stock that's down nearly 2% for the year, as it's viewed as the kind of company we'd only be willing to pay, for, uh, pay more for during a lockdown. To me, that is, that is just poor judgment. We'll eventually start remembering that we love Amazon because Prime is a steal, which doesn't really change just because we're now willing to go to Macy's or Kohl's, two standouts in today's session. I want Andy Jassy to come on the show. He's been on it before. Why? Because he knows the value of Amazon Prime. He can also tell the value of Amazon Web Services. But I think the idea that Amazon Prime is a pandemic story is just wrong. It's a play on our instinct to get more for less. That's Amazon. And that's why it, too, is a buy. The bottom line, when you try to think of what's working in this market, I want you to look at it like this. I want you to ask yourself, would you be insensitive to a price increase if the company put one through? The companies that can raise price without infuriating you? Go buy their stocks. James in South Carolina. James. Hello, Jim. It's good your entire company to buy an opportunity for making money. Ah, oh, you're a good man. What's going on? James in South Carolina. Palmetto State. Um, okay. Good barbecue. Michael in Massachusetts. Michael. Booyah, Jim. Thank Booyah. you for having me on. I'm a first-time caller. Okay. And I got a question for you. I'm a new trader, and I just got a puppy during the pandemic, like a lot of others. And I want to talk to you about Petco, a.k.a. Woof. 
and its performance over the last seven months since its IPO, plus its massive short interest of over 27% currently. Last year, there was a huge increase in pet owners by 11 million. Petco should be COVID-proof and a safe play because people need to pamper their pets no matter what the economy or the Delta variant numbers are. And Petco is rebranding, adding new services and improving, plus doing more commercials, advertisement, right, and online new sales. New hospitals and but, stocks but for been a dog, reason, <laughs> yeah, but for some reason, the stock is hugely shorted and doing poorly. They beat their revenue and EPS by 20%, a huge quarter beat. So why do you think that there's such a large Okay, I, I have been mulling this over because I like Ron. He was on today, uh, Ron Coughlin. I, I think it is a really interesting stock. I think it just came public at a time when we have too many stocks that are now connected with vets and hospitals for uh, dogs and healthcare and IDEX labs. Is, and I just, but I have to use this for a moment because today was quite a day. Um, for NVIDIA, did well. This was NVIDIA 1, and Jensen Wong loved him. He loved him so much that when we had NVIDIA 2, the second, also known as Ragu, he is allowed into headquarters, and he's in the headquarters again. All right, talk about sticker shock. It seems like every company under the sun is raising price, except for, by the way, that Petco. They're having trouble raising price because they're in a very competitive world. Now, I want you to think about the handful of companies that are willing to pay up for their products. See, right here, these are the kinds of stocks that you want. Okay, on Mad Money tonight, Lithia and Driveway, Vlad, is looking to capitalize off the new and used car markets. But could fears of slowing auto sales because of, say, chip problems be reasons for concern? I'm getting a read on the space with the CEO. Then Wall Street's all fired up about two new grilling plays. But which one deserves the title of Mad Money Grillmaster? I'm serving up my thoughts on Traeger and Weber. And yesterday, Fiverr announced a new partnership with PayPal to enable more efficient pay- uh, payments for gig economy workers. So could it pay to invest in Fiverr on the heels of the news? I'm talking to the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Have used car prices finally peaked? This year, the automakers haven't been able to make enough cars because of the chip shortage we keep hearing about. So used car prices have soared until a couple of months ago. But here's the thing. We're still hearing about semiconductor-related production cuts from the automakers. Right now, there's a ton of demand and nowhere near enough supply. Which brings me to a company called Lithia and Driveway, LAD, the chain of new and used car dealerships formerly known as Lithia Motors. Stock's been a huge long-term winner, up 154% over the past year and a half. Its 10-year performance is just extraordinary, even as it's down more than 80 bucks from its highs this March. I think Lithia's not getting enough credit, particularly when you think of its long-term track record. When the company reported nearly a month ago, they shot, totally shot the lights out, but you wouldn't know it from looking at the stock price. So let's take a closer look with Brian DeBoer. He's the president and CEO of Lithia and Driveway. To learn more about how his company's doing, not to mention the broader used car business. Mr. DeBoer, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, it's great to be back, Jim. Always enjoy talking with you. Well, before we even get started talking about it, I don't think people realize, could you please tell people where you rate in the Fortune 500 for the last 10 years if we bought the stock? Well, in TSR, I think we're number three out of 500 companies. <laughs> no. Why don't people That's know that, right? sir? Why do people not know that? It's an extraordinary fact, isn't it? Well, on top of that, Jim, we're uh, number 12 in terms of revenue growth on the last 10 years. Uh, and our EPS has grown almost as fast. I think we were number two on EPS growth. Yes, you're number two. I was going to say on the financials, you're number two. Now, right. and yet at the same time, you were Lithia Motors when we saw you last. Now you're Lithia and Driveway. Tell us why you changed the name. Well, seven months ago, we uh, opened up an e-commerce channel that allows customers to uh, purchase and service cars where, when, and how they choose, which means in the comfort of their own home. And there's one, there's a dealer now, what, within 400 miles of everybody in the country? Yeah, actually 311 miles from 100% of the population in the country. That includes Hawaii and Alaska, where we have a good presence, uh, that we can actually deliver cars directly to you. And we have a pretty good supply still of used cars. Now, used car uh, prices, some people say, have peaked. You're in a position to be able to see everything with driveway and lithia. Can you please give us the current state of the new and used car industry? Well, I I would say this. We were able to sell both new and used cars through both of our channels, lithia and driveway. So most importantly, we're able to balance inventories so we can keep pricing quite attractive. So we exited the quarter about a 58-day supply in use, which is plenty of used cars to keep prices competitive as we possibly can. Uh, But we were only at about 25-day supply in new vehicles on a little bit lower sales rate. So new cars are a little uh, tight still, but we see going into the second half of the year that things should be uh, 
starting to trough out and hopefully supplies return. All right, Brian, let's drill down on that. These stocks are now trading at historically low proportions. Uh, I was speaking to uh, uh, speaking speaking the other day to, G- to Jim Farley. I mean, now his stock is at 12. Uh-huh. It was at 16. Now, I know you know Jim, and he told me to say hi when I spoke to you. One of the things that is absolutely clear is, is that if they could get more cars, more chips, they'll make a lot more money. But what you just said is very different from what Wall Street thinks. Wall Street has just decided that this chip shortage is going to obliterate sales in Q4. That's not going to happen, is it? No, I don't don't believe that. I mean, I think we were building product as an industry at a a pretty low level, and demand has been so darn high. Obviously, with the stimulus checks out there and now the child credits that last until uh, later this year, there's a lot of there's a lot of money out there for people standing in line to buy cars. And, you know, I tell customers as well, be a little patient. OK, there's more cars to come. We won't have major shortages. Our manufacturers are figuring out ways to adjust with that supply chain. OK, and I know as we reach further into the year, there probably won't be quite as much demand, which will help balance things out some. Well, I, I'm not sure the demand can remain high. I mean, for instance, a few minutes ago, it crosses the tape. IBM closes New York City offices amid uh, rising COVID-19 cases. Every time I read one of those stories, sir, I think that there'll be people who didn't have a car and didn't think they needed a car who have to buy one or end up going to lithium driveway. Well, we hope they do and we welcome them there and they can choose to uh, to, to go into our, our, our facilities across the country or sit in the comfort of their own home and hopefully never set foot in a dealership again if they choose to. Now, one of the things I see all the time on the tape, I'll see some dealer in some part of the country sell their uh, dealership to you. Um, now, what happens in this case? Because you usually did a big a big stock offering. Is that like some dealers selling? Who sold that stock? Because it was a good opportunity. People made money. Um, but I'm trying to understand the finances of how that works. We've actually done two stock offerings in the last nine months mm-hmm. to fund the network growth, to be able to support uh, uh, both our, our, our capital engine that's generating massive amounts of cash, over a billion dollars a year, uh, and obviously to build that network out to be able to provide convenient and quick service to our consumers through both of our channels of Lithia and Driveway. So we, are, we have done almost $8.5 billion in revenue growth over the last 13 months, uh, and we really have high aspirations to continue to grow at that at that kind of clip. Uh, our revenue year over year uh, was up 118% uh, for the quarter. Our net income was up almost 270%. Wow. Well, this is why that's how you get to be in the top five of a lot of the different indices. Sir, you're the stock that nobody's heard of. It drives me crazy. And now you change the name. Maybe everyone will hear about you. Lithia and Driveway is the name of the company. It's Brian DeBoer from Ashland, Oregon. Great to see you, sir. Great to see you, Jim. Miss you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, LED's a real good stock. Real good. Man, money's back in. Coming up, Grill, baby, Grill. Kramer gets neighborly with a coal-fired look at the fortune which could be found in your own backyard. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. 
Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You're about to watch an unbelievable segment. <laughs> Last year, when COVID cases exploded and we had no vaccines to protect us, only masks and social distancing, we got a fabulous bull market in the great outdoors. If you wanted to go on vacation or really socialize in any way, you know what you had to do. You had to go outside. That created a renaissance. I always wanted to pronounce it that way. And all sorts of outdoor activities. And I bring this up because right now the Delta variant is spreading like wildfire. So more and more people are taking safety precautions. That means this Labor Day weekend could end up looking a lot like last year's Labor Day weekend. Which brings me to one of the unsung heroes of the great outdoors theme. The grill. Now, if you're anything like me, you've spent a lot of time at barbecues over the last 16 months. And that passion for grilling has not gone away. Even when it looked like the great reopening was at that point still going smoothly because people were thinking about getting vaccinated. <laughs> a couple of tens of millions of people didn't think it was that good an idea. Anyway, but uh, until a few weeks ago, there were no pure plays on grilling, at least not publicly traded ones. If you wanted to own Kingsford's terrific charcoal business, well, you had to buy the rest of Clorox. If you wanted a retailer that sells grills, you had to buy something like Vista Outdoor, which is mainly a play on ammunition. In the last few weeks, though, not one, but two pure play grill makers have come public. I'm talking about Traeger on July 29th and then Weber on August 5th. Regular viewers know that I'm not a fan of the recent IPO deluge. It's flooded the market with too much supply, mostly low quality supply that weighs down everything else. However, you still can get some good deals. And I think, you know what? I think both of these grill plays fall into that category. But which one's better, or more important, which one is better for you? Tonight, we're doing a blind taste test. Okay? Listen to me. This is a metaphorically speaking blind test, because in order to figure out whether you like Traeger or Weber, well, how do you find out what's a superior grill unless you think about it in terms of stocks? So let's take them one by one. We're going to start with Traeger, okay? Now, this is, I mean, come on, man. This thing is cool as all get up. Now, this is the smaller of the two companies, but the one that came public first, it's got an interesting niche. Traeger makes, Traeger makes what's known as wood pellet grills. It's a category the company created. These are grills that burn all natural hardwoods to give you that authentic wood-fired flavor. According to Traeger, the wood pellet technology gives you better tasting meat, more versatility, and an easier-to-use grill. Plus, they've got a huge community of true believers who really love that smoky taste. While Traeger's far from the largest grill brand, they're the grill brand with the largest social media community. They've even had people name their kids Traeger, which to me is sick. Now, there's also a technology side the, uh, because these grills are very much part of the IoT or Internet of Things. This is like Cisco. 
I feel like I'm with, I'm with Chuck. I'm grilling with Chuck Robbins here. They can monitor and control their own temperature. They can, they're connected to the cloud, of course. They can be controlled via an app. Traeger also got more than 1,600 digital recipes. You can select one in their app, then click Make Now to start running the cook cycle, which sounds incredibly convenient. Maybe that's better than that stupid pickle recipe that I got from Pinterest, where my kids said they'd just take like, taste like cucumbers and vinegar. Anyway, perhaps more important, this company's increasingly got a razor, razor blade business model. They sell you the grill, and then you get years of recurring revenue because they sell you all sorts of consumables. This is... This is, these are dog food. Is this dog food? Did you guys, I'm looking at my staff to see whether they're playing a trick on me. Anyway, we're talking about these wood pellets that set Traeger's product apart, but also various rubs, spices, and seasonings. Last year, consumables accounted for 22% of the company's sales. While they sell all this stuff at retailers like Ace Hardware, Home Despot, Williams-Sonoma, Traeger's also building out its own direct-to-consumer business, DTC they call that, although it's still small. It only made up 7% of their sales last year. Now, we love direct-to-consumer money because it cuts out the middleman and gives you higher margins. In short, I'm calling Traeger a really good story. Next up, about a week later, we got an even larger grill IPO, Weber. Okay, this one is much better known, right? Weber invented the modern charcoal grill, and they did that nearly 70 years ago. And they remain the market leader for the whole grilling category. They got 23% share in the U.S., 24% worldwide. Nobody, sorry, Mr. Traeger, comes close. Of course, these days, Weber's no longer totally hostage to charcoal. When I spoke to CEO Chris Schwarzinger on the day of the IPO, he made it clear that Weber's fuel agnostic now. Gas, charcoal, wood pellets, even electricals, they got everything, which is good because everybody knows that when this runs out and you have friends over, you get divorced. That's what happens. Anyway, there's a technology angle here. Weber's got connected grills and their own mobile app with a whole cloud-based infrastructure behind it. The new IoT platform called the Weber Connect actually won the award for best connected home products at the last CES. That's the conference formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show. They're also about to launch a new line of gas-powered grills that can measure their own propane levels, tell you when you need a refill. Oh, man, does this keep families together? And that's going to save so many family events, including barbecues. Now, on top of that, Weber's already built out a big, successful direct-to-consumer business. They've got their digital platform and even some Weber-branded stores. Direct-to-consumer here in e-commerce makes up more than 20% of the company's sales and management. Please, they got 29% market share when it comes to outdoor cooking products sold online in the U.S., meaning their digital presence is even better than their physical presence. I love their website. I'm not kidding. Rather than go to Amazon, go to their direct-to-consumer, and you can see all the things that they have. I just think it's exceptional. Now, we know that Traegers are historically what we would call premium or, or maybe upscale, or some would just say more expensive than uh, anything that Weber has. I like to think of these guys as Yeti, and this is kind of Rubbermaid or Coleman, all right? Now, my staff wants Traegers, but unless they can live in them, forget it. They will not be able to afford it. I, on the other hand, am historically thrifty, except for my Italian knit suits, so call me a Weber household. I got two of these babies. Now, the other big difference from Traeger, while Traeger is mostly a domestic operation, Weber gets nearly half of its sales from the rest of the world. So wherever you go, I mean, you can find a Weber. So how do they stack up when it comes to financials, since that's what this is really about? Traeger is the growth story here. These guys have 50% revenue growth in 2020. 
It shows you how flush people are. They can buy this thing, right? It's a little expensive. 97% revenue growth in the first half of this year. Weber's much more of a consistent long-term operator. They had steady double-digit revenue growth for decades. Last year, Weber grew at an 18% clip. Well, that spiked to 62% in the first half of the year because of COVID. Same trajectory as Traeger, but more muted. What about profitability? You need to understand that these two companies are in very different parts of their life cycle. Traeger's earnings exploded last year, but in recent months, those numbers have trailed off as the company decided to invest more heavily in expanding the business. Weber's more mature, which has given them some stellar earnings growth this year, up more than 200% in the six-month period that ended in March because they don't have to spend as much to maintain their position. Those are the companies. Okay, now let's talk specifically about the stocks. Traeger came public with a bang. IPO pricing at 18, stock opening at 22, spikes to 32 at, at its peak a week and a half ago. Since then, though, the stock's pulled back to 25 and change. As for Weber, they had the misfortune of coming public right as the demand for IPOs is really drying up. The book runners had to reduce the size of the deal. That's usually positive for you. makes it a sliver deal, though. In order, in, in order to be able to engineer a bit of a pop on the first day, it went 14 to 18. Stock going on, on, on to peak at around $20 a few days later. But since then, Weber spent the last, wow, last couple of weeks really rolling over. It's pulling back to $15 and change today. As for valuations, well, we don't have clear estimates yet. But it's pretty clear that Traeger trades at a meaningful premium to Weber. The same way that Yeti trades a meaningful premium to Newell. However, given its faster growth rate, it does deserve to trade at a premium. Which one's better? Now, this depends on what you're looking for. You want a fast-growing grill play, then Traeger is the way to go. If you want a more mature, steady Yeti grill stock that I think is going to do well over time, go with Weber. The bottom line, I think this is a good moment for the entire grilling industry. So... As with barbecue, when you're picking between Traeger or Weber, here's the rub. <laughs> it's all a matter of taste. Joe in New York. Joe. Booyah, Jim. First time caller, long time listener. Excellent. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing great. I just want to thank you for me and my family for all the help you've done over the years to it for us. Thank you. And even... And I'm even doing my, my three-year-old daughter, granddaughter Kinsley, watches you every night. Can she give me a booyah? A three-year-old booyah? Uh, my son's in Seattle, so she's in Seattle, so I will call her and tell her to call in one day. Absolutely. She's, Absolutely. So uh, how can I help you now? Okay. I'd like to know about Whirlpool. Um, should I hold it? Oh, tell yeah. Take hey, listen. No, or- this is the new Whirlpool. This guy who runs Whirlpool is a total hoot. I mean, he's so smart. I, I have to tell you, I, you know, when I talked to him by five minutes, I want him on my show. He appeared on another show. That's all right. But his name is, is Mark Fitzer, and he's calling himself Dr. Mark Fitzer. So I figured, you know, like, hey, man, I, I get a physical and also, uh, you know, have him on the show. Anyway, I like Whirlpool a lot. I think this is a good moment for the entire growing industry. Fast-growing grill play, I suggest Traeger and, you know, bring your dog. On the other hand, if you want a more mature, steady Eddie grill stock with a cheaper valuation, well, this propane, propane-filled killer Weber, and I got two of them, is the stock for you. Now, much more mad money had, including my Susan with Pfizer, which is a heck of a lot cheaper than Square. Stock jumped higher today uh, after Value Act took a billion-dollar stake in the company. That was a non-story. But could today's gains be the beginning of a longer-term move higher? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. Then double, double oil in trouble. With crude sliding for a sixth straight day, I'm joining this space sharing some names to watch, of course. And then all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of... 
the lightning round! Last year, Wall Street fell in love with financial technology stocks become fintech because they were pretty much immune to any COVID-related weakness. Then, this year, Wall Street fell out of love with them as the great reopening got rolling. But now the Delta variant's totally out of control, and this group's starting to rebound. Take Pfizer, the fintech company that operates much of the plumbing for financial institutions and merchants accepting credit payments. The stock tumbled from 127 at its highest in April down to below 106 at its lows earlier this month. In the last few weeks, though, it is rebounded to 116, including a nearly 2% move today. doesn't hurt that Pfizer delivered an excellent beat and raised quarter a few weeks ago and that there's some fun, and we're going to talk about it, that file that has a big stake in it and seems to want the want stock to be higher. So could this be the beginning of a larger move higher for one of the cheaper stocks in the fintech space? Let's check in with Frank Bizzignano. Now, Frank is an old hand at this game, okay? We knew him from first date. He made a, mo- a lot of money for people. And we got to get a better, better, sense, better sense of where his company is headed. Frank, welcome back to Bad Money and the Stew Guys. Good to be here with you, Jim. All my pleasure. All right, so Frank, I'm going to get cut right to the chase. You are maybe the most experienced person in this field. You have got what I regard as being the best competitive position. People just keep being in love. They tell me, listen, we love Square. We can't wait till Stripe comes. There's a company, Aiden. We lo- I-, I want Frank and I want Fiserv. Will you tell, explain to me, perhaps, the disparity between the best run and best competitive guy and these other companies, frankly, that I, that I don't know whether they're any good or not? Well, you know, in Q2, we uh, had 20% revenue growth. Uh, that was at, after uh, a double-digit growth year in uh, EPS last year, this year, uh, in the quarter, we had 47%. Um, we continue, We have a great client franchise, you know, our 4,000 financial institutions, and then our millions of uh, businesses. And the bringing together these assets, when we put First Aid and Fiserv together, allows us to be able to continue to innovate. We just brought out a world-class product through our acquisition of Ondot that uh, will be Clover-like. We have Clover um, allowing us to power small businesses, bring software to them, uh, tremendous GPV growth, the industry-leading GPV growth. You know, we got a, a company that uh, continues continues to grow on the top line and EPS. Uh, and, you know, we're, we, we love our resilient business model. During the pandemic, we were still able to have uh, double-digit EPS growth last year and then 47%, as I said before, in this quarter. Uh, we have a deep belief our operating income grew 41%. And that's off of our e-com platform, our Clover platform, our ability to serve businesses and banks and be really their operating system. Right. Uh, and and, and we taking less to- for it, right? I mean, the value proposition for a small, medium-sized business, Pfizer versus the other companies I mentioned, looking for Square, it, it, it's a lot better if I, my if a client goes to Fiserv than to Square. I mean, look, let's go head to head, right? Yeah. Well, you know, we have a value prop that allows our clients to grow their business. Our job is we're in business to help our clients grow their business. We continue to innovate in, in every vertical. Um, and we're investing heavily in technology and our business. 
while, you know, producing, producing the EPS growth and the free cash flow as we did. All right. No, let, let's talk about we know that the, the news today, so to speak, and I, I, I would like to put qu- uh, quote marks around the word news uh, is the one point two billion stake that Value Act has taken you. I mean, from what I understand about Value Act and they, uh, is that they might be even friendly with you. They are agreeing with you and me that you have parts within your company that are worth more than publicly traded companies that are double your value. Yeah, well, they've been uh, obviously accumulating a position. We, we're, uh, we're of the same mind. We see the same path forward. And so to your point, I'm not sure it's news today, but it, it became news today, although uh, they've, they've been a reported holder of ours for quite some time. Uh, I think they see our ability to even acquire smaller properties like Clover and Ondot and grow them the way we do. And you should expect us to continue to transform in a way that allows our clients to grow their business. Uh, So there's tremendous total addressable market here. And uh, we feel we feel we have a very good position against all of our competitors. Well, there is a great analyst, uh, Lisa Ellis at at Moffitt Nathanson. She says there's a central controversy about your uh, merchant acquiring business, which I, by the way, love, which is that people think that you're losing share uh, maybe to a stripe or whatever. It's, It's just not true. You're not losing share to anyone from what I can tell. No, you know, we uh, globally, you think about that as a $6 billion revenue business growing, you know, fundamentally 10%. It's hard to look at that as anything but gaining share and expanding the total addressable market uh, by bringing more products to our client base. Well, look, I think that people want fintech should be with, with Frank because you are not episodic in your earnings. You have made people a great deal of money wherever you've been, and you're making money for people right now. Frank Bisignano is the president and CEO of FiveServe, F-I-S-V. You want fintech? How about a fintech run by a real banker, by a real businessman? That's this one. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Jim. See you soon. May have money back after the break. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead over the lightning round. Let's start with David in Texas. David. Hi, Jim. What do you think about Academy Sports and Outdoors, ticker ASO? Even after the big run, I think it's still inexpensive. I would be a buyer of the stock. Let's go to Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. Uh, thanks for all your help over the years. Oh, you're terrific. Thank uh, you. Uh, I'm calling about a stock I know you like, or, or at least did like, that's getting crushed now. What do you think I should do with my holdings in Poshmark? I do like Poshmark. I do like what they're doing with, with uh, kind of recycled clothing. I think it's a great idea. I guess people just have this. It's going totally out of style. I think Vinny does a good job. I would hold on to it. Let's go to Phil in Virginia. Phil. Jimmy Chill. Yo, Chill's What's here. What's going on, buddy? How much was going with you? About- I started buying this stock at about $80 and unfortunately have had to buy it all the way down to about the mid-40s. Um, trying to get your thoughts on C3AI. Tom Siebel. Man, Tom Siebel's such a moneymaker. I totally understand why you would feel like you just have to own the stock. There are so, wow, there are so many companies in that area and they are so cutthroat. 
but I can't tell you to sell this thing down 68%. At this point, I think you have to hold on to it. Let's go to Richard in Virginia. Richard. Richard. Hey, limited blowout early earnings on Tuesday. No one talks about it. You still like it as a buy? Which one? C limited. Oh, S E. Oh man, yeah. you bet. Come on, man. That's the Singapore. I mean, that company is on fire. That is basically the Amazon meets PayPal of everything of Southeast Asia. We have liked it from the beginning. I could not believe that last quarter. It was incredible. Alex in Florida. Alex. Hey, man. Uh, retail investor here. Show us some love, baby. I'm gonna try. What do I throw? What What am I love? What am I throwing love at? Wish. What are you thinking about Wish, man? Man, I, I'm not throwing a love you that way. No, I mean, I, when you wish upon a bad stock, I, I, that one's just no. We're not going to go there. I do love the individual best, though. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. With Delta devouring optimism, will oil prices make investment pros feel pain? Kramer's eyeing energy with 2020 vision. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Which one's the real and which one's fake? You can't tell. And one of that is because Jensen knows shading. I mean, you know, this man is an architect, but he also knows Charoscuro. Remember that one? Of Charoscuro? Yes. He's Mr. Charoscuro. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. It happened again. The street got all bowled up on oil, so excited about the fact that OPEC Plus had managed to push crude up to $70 a barrel just by curbing supply. Then one after another, the analysts found things to love about nearly every oil producer, from the heavily debt-laden Occidental to the slimmed-down BP to the actually well-run Chevron. And in the end, all that bullishness created the top. When everybody turns positive, it means there's no one left to buy. Remember, when oil got to its higher levels in uh, July, we highlighted Carly Garner's excellent chart work, showing that oil was close to a peak. How did she know? First, she looked at the data from the Commodity Futures Trading Commission that showed money managers had taken a huge net long position in the oil futures, a big on bet that oil would go higher, the kind of net long position you tend to see when oil is about to roll over. At the same time, Garner pointed out that we're seeing something called backwardation, where the furthest out futures contracts were actually much lower than the closest futures contracts. That's often a bearish sign. Then she looked at the calendar and noted that the crude, the crude has historically uh, tended to peak in July before going downhill in August. Nice call. Why was this so predictable? Because all of these technical issues gave us some tremendous insight into supply and demand. And when you're dealing with a commodity, supply and demand is everything. As long as oil was in the 50s or low 60s, American producers showed great discipline. They weren't going to start drilling like crazy and flood the market with supply. But once oil got to 70, there was just too much money to be made. So producers started drilling again. 
All those analysts rushed to go positive on the oil stocks when crude hit 70. But only that was the kiss of death for the oil rally. Now, with the Delta variant raging and a slowdown conceivably on the horizon, we could be looking at demand problems. So I don't know if oil can even hold above 60 these days. Most American producers are still plenty profitable above 60. uh, But below that level, it does start to get more dicey. What do you do if you want to buy an oil here? Well, first and foremost, you need plenty of yield support. Devon and Pioneer Natural Resources both have what are known as variable dividends, uh, meaning their payouts could shrink as oil comes down or maybe grow as oil stays the same or goes up. If you want something less risky, how about Chevron, fixed, fixed dividend? Here's a stock that everyone seemed to just be gaga about a few weeks ago and now can't get any love. Stock's fallen from 113 to $94. But at these levels, it sports 5.7% yield. I like Chevron very much here. Now, we know there are existential threats to this group because they are, alas, carbon-based. While many of these companies have major, made major efforts to reduce their carbon emissions, including ExxonMobil, where some newly board, member, board members are committed to making the company, let's just say, a lot more environmentally friendly, the fact is, well, these, these are all oil companies. If governments around the world wanted to crack down on climate change, it doesn't matter how much they do to try to offset their emissions. However, at the moment, you don't need to worry about regulators crushing the fossil fuel industry. You just need to remember that when oil was in the 60s on the way up, the bulls got way too excited, pushed it to the 70s, and then got overwhelmed by a wave of new supply. Oh, and be careful, because oil, oil may not be done rolling over yet. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.